0: Our psalm for this evening is Psalm 65. If you're using a church Bible, the large print is on 836. Um, On the small print Bible, it's 580. Psalm 65. For the director of music, a psalm of David, a song. Praise awaits you, our God, in Zion. To you, our vows will be fulfilled. You who answer prayer, to you all people will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, Who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength. Who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty, and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks, and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. Amen.
1: Thanks, Cathy. Let's uh, pray as we come to, to God's word. Psalmist so writes, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Father, thank you for that wonderful promise. Thank you that it is in Jesus that we have found fullness, that we have joy, and we do pray this evening as we look at this psalm here and understand more of the ways in which you fill us, that you would increase that joy, that you would cause us to be those who want to, to worship you with hearts full of joyful praise, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm sure we've all been in the situation where we're driving along in our car and we glance down at the dashboard and realise that the, the orange light is on and that the petrol tank is close to empty. Fortunately these days cars are able to tell us how many miles that means that we've got. In the old days it was a bit more hit and miss. Um, And so we carry on praying that it's accurate and that we'll get home without grinding to a halt. That's where the expression running on empty has come from. It's an expression that's been expanded to be used in different contexts um, to describe the current situation of the, the NHS, for example, as a result of staff shortages, overcrowded hospitals, increasing cases of serious illness. I may describe how you have felt at some point in your life or maybe even feeling right now. All the various pressures coming at you from different quarters. There's nothing left In the tank, you're running on empty. There are many ways in which we can describe either blessing or becoming a follower of Jesus. Uh, He brings freedom. uh, He brings new life. He brings peace. But one very helpful way is that he brings fullness. On Thursday evening in the uh, uh, Bible reading sessions that we're we're doing, we're looking at the letter to the Colossians. And uh, one of the words which was repeated several times in Colossians is fullness. In chapter 2, it says this, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. If we're Christians, we have experienced fullness, and yet we won't be completely full till we go to be with Jesus. And it says in Ephesians that God gave the church various people, including pastors and teachers, to build up the body until it says we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. If we know the fullness of God, then that should lead naturally to, to worship, to expressing our love to God in songs of joyful praise. In this series of sermons at the moment on Sunday evenings, we're looking at the Psalms of Thanksgiving, which are songs of joyful praise. Uh, Psalm 65, we're looking at this evening, links God's filling of us with our joyful praise of him. And it gives us three ways in which God fills us. We're filled with humility as we enter God's presence. Verse 4 says, We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. We're filled with awe at God's power and wonders. Verse 8 says, The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. And we're filled with satisfaction by God's generous provision. Verse 11 says, You crown the year with your bounty, and your carts overflow with abundance. The result of that filling is worship. And so in the first section, the psalm opens with the words, uh, praise awaits you, our God, in Zion. To you, our vows will be fulfilled. The second section ends with the words in verse 8, you call forth songs of praise. In the third section, the end of the psalm concludes in verse 13, they shout for joy and they sing. So this evening what I'd like to do is look at these three sections and I pray that as we do so, we will experience God's filling and want to respond with joy. So first of all, we're filled with humility as we enter God's presence. In this first section, we see a God who wants a relationship with us. Verse 2 says, you who answer prayer to you, all people will come. God wants us to come to him in humble dependence and to seek his help that's why he answers our prayers because they express our dependence on him they acknowledge that we can't do things in our own strength and he loves to, to answer our prayers often as it says in the letter of James you, you do not have because you do not ask God it says and the problem is though that there is something that prevents us from approaching God he is a holy God And we are sinful creatures. But the good news is, as it says in verse 3, when we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. It doesn't matter how far we've strayed from God, how many sins we've committed, how unworthy we feel, God is willing to forgive us if we ask him to. But it says we were overwhelmed by sin. And if we don't understand just how much our sin offends God, then if we don't feel the guilt of our sin, we're not going to see our need for forgiveness. We're not going to go to God and ask him for forgiveness. And sadly, that's the situation with uh, most people in this country. They may understand that as human beings, we have to make moral choices. We have to choose between doing what is right and what is wrong. But many people don't see that we also have to choose between putting God first in our lives and putting ourselves first. And if we don't get that, then forgiveness is really just saying sorry for the bad moral choices I made as opposed to saying sorry to God for rejecting his authority over my life. If we've had our eyes opened to see our need for forgiveness and that God is willing to have mercy on us and forgive us, then that should fill us with humility because we know we don't really deserve it and yet God has been merciful to us. Apostle Paul never forgets the mercy God has shown him you might know, think that after all the, the missionary trips he's been on, all the, the churches he's planted, all the letters that he's written, all the sufferings he's endured, that he might get to the point where he thinks, well, hopefully now, God, I've repaid you for your mercy. But no, he never forgets where he's come from, and the mercy God has shown him. And 1 Timothy, he writes this, he writes, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that He considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. It's when we appreciate the extent of God's mercy that we are filled with humility and love for God. If mercy is God not giving us the punishment we deserve, then grace is Him giving us the good things that we, we don't deserve. And so the reason God forgives us is so that we can then enjoy a relationship with Him in which He wants to bless us. First four says, blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your course. We are filled with the good things of your house of your holy temple. This is all about living in the presence of God. He chooses us, he brings us near, and then he fills us with good things. A verse I read out earlier in Psalm 16 is one of my, my favorites that says, you, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This can only happen at the invitation of God. and I recently received an invitation to attend a friend's uh, 60th birthday party. I've known him since I was at university. He um, looks a bit different now. Um, we've traveled around Europe together. We've shared a house together um, as best man at his wedding. And as we've remained good friends over the years, I would have been in some way surprised if I hadn't received an invitation. But there's no reason why... I should receive an invitation from God to attend his party. And yet, that is what he's done. And it's humbling because it shows that he he wants me to be in his presence. He wants to fill me with good things. And I wonder if that's how you feel. In the old covenant, believers could only draw near to God in, in a limited way through the temple ceremonies, but now... Under the new covenant, we have the privilege of being able to enter the presence of God. He invites us in. As it says in Hebrews 10, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. And therefore, he encourages the believers to let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. When we come together on a Sunday as Christians and gather to, to worship him we are, we are entering into to genuine worship in the presence of God we might not be able to see him physically we might not be able to see the, the angels gathered around his throne or the, the spirits of believers who have already gone to him and are worshipping in his presence but we are taking part in that worship and that is more real than the the physical world that we see around us in many ways, because this world one day will be replaced by a new creation, whereas our acts of worship will remain in the eternal consciousness of God. We're filled with humility as we enter God's presence. Secondly, we're filled with awe at God's power and wonders. Verse 5 says, you answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God, our Savior. This is probably referring back to the way God answers our prayers. With God, nothing is impossible. The greatest thing he's done for us is to achieve our salvation. And so it describes here God as a savior. We may have thought we were beyond saving, but God came to our rescue when we, we called out to him. And so he's described as the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. With God, no one no thing is beyond hope. Because Jesus' death was sufficient for the sins of the whole world. Hope forms a key verse, a key part of our verse for the year. We we're going into this new year in hope. Hope for what God may do uh, by his mighty power. Hope that he will fill us with joy and peace as we trust in him. What other ways does God show? His power. Have a look at verse 6. It says, he's the one who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength. God's shown his power in, in creating the world. And the greatest display of that power in, in our limited human minds is probably the mountains, which uh, never cease to fill us with awe at their size, their their majesty. There are different reasons why... People try to, to climb mountains. Um, sometimes it's to demonstrate their own human strength and endurance. I don't know if you've seen the film, 14 Peaks, about the Nepalese mountaineer uh, Nirmal Purja. He and his team managed to climb all 14 mountains in the world that are above 8,000 meters. And he did that in under seven months, an incredible feat. Subtitle of the film is nothing is impossible. But however incredible his feat was, we can't say as human beings that nothing is impossible, can we? There are plenty of things that we cannot do. And sadly, many people who have tried to do the impossible by, by climbing mountains have died in the process, over 300 people on Everest alone. But with God, it is true to say that nothing is impossible. He is able to do anything he wants to do. And his creation demonstrates his, his awesome power. As human beings, we only have a, a tiny understanding of the, the extent of his creative power. We in recent years, uh, with more technology, have more access to the parts of the world that were previously hidden. But this planet is a tiny part of a, a vast universe. And so we have a very limited understanding of what lies out there. Because power is seen in what he's created. It's seen in the way he sustains the earth. Verse 7 says he's the one who's still the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the turmoil of the nations. When God created the world, he brought order out of chaos. But after the fall, the world became characterized by Disorder. Disorder in creation is symbolised here in the psalm by the roaring of the waves. Disorder in human relationships is symbolised by the turmoil of the nations, by war and conflict. But God has the power to distil that, to bring wars to an end, to bring peace. And so we shouldn't be afraid to ask God to do what appears to be the impossible. Whether that is to save someone who appears beyond saving, to heal someone who appears to be beyond healing, to break an addiction that appears to be beyond breaking, to bring reconciliation between two people or two parties or two nations who appear beyond reconciling or to bring spiritual revival to a nation that appears to be beyond reviving. Let us plead with God to show us his power this year and fill us with awe and joy. Verse 8 summarizes that section. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders, where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. When we're filled with awe at God's power and wonders, the response is to sing songs of joy. And finally, we're filled with satisfaction by God's generous provision. When God created the world, he said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruits with seed in it, according to their various kinds. He also created the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, the wild animals. Ensure the climate conditions were just right for crops to grow and livestock to thrive and he made humankind in his image to rule over these things and that work of sustaining power continues as we see in the last section of this psalm from verse 9 onwards let me read these verses you care for the land and water it you enrich it abundantly the streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with corn for so you have ordained it You drench its furrows and and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty. And your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks. And the valleys are mantled with corn. They shout for joy and sing. Not only does God provide people with food and drink and what is necessary to survive, He's also created humans with the skills and resources um, to make the most of those things and manage the Earth's resources productively and efficiently. Or well, sadly, greed and corruption resulting from the fall I mean that human beings have not looked after the Earth in the way that uh, God would have wanted. Resources have not been evenly distributed between nations. The fall has affected the whole of the created world, and not just human relationships, Has led to human disaster, natural disasters. But in the midst of all this, God is still generous and loves to provide us for all our needs. His farm is full of different descriptions of his generosity, Look at these words he uses. You enrich it abundantly. The streams have got are filled with water. You crown the year with your bounty. Your casts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of a wilderness overflow. In this country, we are materially very blessed. And yet, how often do we focus on what we don't have rather than what we do have? How often, as Colin was saying this morning, do we look with envy at those who have more than us rather than compassion at those who have less? How often do we thank God for his bountiful provision? How often do we seek to be generous with what he has blessed us? Our example, of course, should be the Lord Jesus. In 2 Corinthians, we read... Not yet. And therefore, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Does God's generosity towards us cause us to be generous towards others? In that same letter, Paul writes about the grace that God has given the, the Macedonian churches. And he says, in the midst of a very severe trial their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. A generous heart comes from a joyful heart. And a joyful heart comes from acknowledging God's generosity towards us. In the first Bible reading session on Thursday evenings, we looked at the importance of context when reading the Bible, um, how passages are placed where they are for, for a reason. And in Luke's gospel, we read two contrasting stories next to each other. Uh, deliberately placed there. in chapter 18, we have the story of a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus sees into his heart and sees that his idol is his wealth. And so he says to him, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And when you heard this, we're told that the man became very sad because he was very wealthy. But the next chapter tells us another story of a very wealthy man called Zacchaeus. And after he was challenged by the Lord, we're told, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today, Salvation has come to this house. Two characters who responded in different ways to Jesus' generosity towards them. One was not willing to give up his wealth for Jesus, and he went away sad. The other was released from the hold of uh, wealth and possessions on him because he saw the generosity of Jesus. And he was filled with joy and became generous to others. God wants us to be generous because he knows the blessings that we receive when we are generous to others. Jesus said in Luke 6, he said, give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. We're filled with satisfaction by God's generous provision and that leads to joyful worship. Psalm finishes in verse 13. The meadows are covered with flocks, and the valleys are mantled with corn. They shout for joy and sing as we come to an end. If we, if we are Christians here this evening, we should be those who are known as they as ones who are full of joyful praise. We can't manufacture joy. It's not a commodity that you can buy or sell. But true lasting joy comes from knowing God, knowing his fullness, that we are filled with humility as we enter his presence, that we're filled with awe at his wonders and his power, and we're filled with satisfaction by his generous provision. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you want to to fill us, to fill us to overflowing with the joy that comes from knowing that we are loved by you and blessed by you, that we are those who received your your wonderful grace. So Lord, help us to focus on what it means to be those who are called to enter into your presence, the humility. That flows from that as we recognize we're not those who deserve to enter your presence but you invite us in you call us in as we look at your amazing powers and wonder power of your creation your sustaining your restoration your healing fill us with awe and lord as we think of all Your generosity towards us, fill us with satisfaction and fill us with a generous spirit towards others that with that with which you've blessed us, we may be a blessing to them. Lord, help us to respond to that fullness that we've received from you with hearts of joyful praise. In Jesus' name, amen.